Welcome to Dead for Filth. I'm your host, Michael Verratti, and this is the podcast for all things queer horror and beyond. Well, it is the middle of June, and you know what that means. It is Pride Month uh, for a show that's always committed to things spooky and queer. How could we not celebrate things that are, well, spooky and queer? So today we're doing a little Pride mini-sode special uh, to make some recommendations for you to... uh, just, you know, have some pleasant viewing experiences for your Pride Month. And we are joined today uh, by our esteemed producer, Drew Phillips. Hello. And for the first time in the show's history, a return guest, filmmaker Erlinger Torridson, maker of Rift and Child Eater, has come back to uh, sling some favorites. Hello. Well, here we are. It's it's Pride. It's a summer in the city or wherever you are. Uh, and basically, I'm just hoping to make some film recommendations to our listeners because I think that's something they rely on us for. And I've asked you both to uh, join me on the mic today to tell these fine folks what to watch this gay old month. So... Um, even though we tend to, to gravitate to, towards horror because Pride is a celebration of all things queer, I also want to kind of zoom in on some queer cinema as well. So let me just lay some some ground rules down. Uh, why don't we do three recommendations each? A horror film, a queer horror film, and a queer film. And I'll let either of you take it away. Erlinger? Okay, I'll start. Um, first of all, thank you so much for having me be the first return guest. I am very honored. Oh, we're excited to have you back. Um, and of course, I, you know, as soon as you asked me to do a list, I got very nervous. And uh, <laughs> so I probably thought of way too many movies. Um, I think my, the first pick that I'll say will be the queer horror film. Okay. And um, I wanted to do something... Um, kind of lesbian uh, related because I feel like a lot of the times when we do talk about uh, gay horror, it's more, we were talking about like films with dudes and, right. uh, and I think, you know, making, you know, showing more uh, lesbian content uh, is something that we should strive for. I agree. Um, and the film, the first film that I thought of doing is something that I actually mentioned when I was on your show the first time, which was Daughters of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it's Pride Month, I kind of wanted to do something a little bit more fun. Okay. So do you I, not think Daughters of Darkness is fun? It's fun. It's fun, <laughs> but in a, in a different way. But um, the movie that I want to recommend is uh, Jennifer's Body. Um, Excellent. Written by Diablo Cody, um, directed by Karen Kusama. Um, it's 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 more like a kind of a subtextual queer film. It, I mean, subtextual in the way that it does come up to the surface uh, a couple of times. Right. But um, but it's very fun. It's uh, I think Karen Kusama is like one of the most interesting genre directors around today, uh, and Diablo Cody, obviously um, one of the the most exciting writers in any genre um, today. I'll agree with that. What I really like about Jennifer's Body is that it is definitely a movie that tackles so many issues uh, from from toxic masculinity. Uh, to the PTSD of sexual assault survivors. There is the subtext of of lesbianism throughout. I mean, it's a movie that could only have really been curated by such powerful women as Diablo Cody and Karin Kusama. Uh, and I think that Megan Fox is amazing in it. It's it's a, a role that she does not get enough credit for. I really think that uh, Amanda Seyfried is, is awesome. Uh, that, to me, just is like one of her finest roles. Yeah. Um, and with her, like I, I just saw First Reform the other day, and uh, I, I feel like we don't talk about how great of an actress she actually is. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we should we should um, get on that. I do frequently think before we bounce over to, to Drew for for her recommendation, uh, Whenever I see The Devil Wears Prada, a horror movie unto itself, uh, whenever I see The Devil Wears Prada, I always wonder if Amanda Seyfried watches it and thinks both of these women have played my mother in big budget movie (laughs) musicals because that to me would make the movie extra special to her. I don't know. Um, That was a brief aside as we do. Uh, Drew, what are what are you living for these days in the world? Well, I'll follow Erlinger for a great queer horror recommendation. Uh, specifically a great lesbian recommendation. Yes, um, girl power. Salem Kebsaski's, uh recent trauma edition, Spiderlings, which is a bomb and a half, a lesbian horror musical with a happy ending. Um, it is a true delight that makes little sense and is a pure blast. It's, the songs are written by Jeff Christensen, um, Jeff Christian, I believe. Uh, and it's just, it's so exuberant and so loud in what it wants to do. Mm-hmm. And it is so much fun. Um, if you got a fetish for spiders, it's perfect. Uh, I don't, but hey, I don't think shame. <laughs> I mean, it's, no, it's, it's a delight. And Salem is a true up and coming uh, queer icon. And I really can't wait to see what he has in store for us next. What I really like about that film is it fits really well in my mind in the canon of trauma greats because trauma's long history, as I've discussed on the show with guests before, has always been that they've existed outside of the mainstream and sort of hold the banner of punk rock cinema. And what this movie does is it's literally like an anarchy in the UK punk rock movie Mm -hmm. and uh, with lesbians and musical numbers and spiders. Uh, And it it kind of felt like an acquisition for trauma that was returned to glory days. Yeah. And uh, I I really, really think this movie is one of those uh, light up the night kind of. If, if you saw this on late night cable, it would become a secret favorite of yours. Uh, and then not so secret when you found when you found your tribe. Uh, no. Salem wrote a great article about the making of the film called um, Punch Him in the Head and Steal His Wallet or How to Produce an Independent Film, which is a great article just that's very informative to read about getting your work made uh, up there with Lloyd's How to Make Your Own Damn Movie. Uh, Make Your Own Damn Movie to me is one of the greatest guides of uh, independent filmmaking uh, because it will tell you things to do and things not to do uh, sometimes (laughs) in the same sentence. Uh, Punch him in the head and steal his wallet is also my Tinder bio. Um, (laughs) This is one of those Fridays on Pride Month. Uh, so I guess that's to me, queer horror film. I think that I'm going to recommend, uh, oh, I kind of want to stick to the lesbian theme. There's been some, some good, uh, good suggestions so far. Well, you know, we've, we've trumpeted the show on the pat on previous episodes. I have made no secret of my, my mutual love and admiration for these ladies. So uh, making its rounds at, at festivals and theaters this summer is the Carmilla movie, uh, made by a great crew of Canadian filmmakers, uh, that was spun off of a YouTube series, uh, based on La Fano's Carmilla, which is all about lesbian vampires. Uh, and this particular iteration, uh, not only toes the line of, uh, strong female characters and lesbians, there's also, uh, non-binary characters in the, uh, narrative, and I think that it's just so 
brilliant in the same way that Buffy was in that uh, what they've done with the show is they use the allegory of monsters to um, highlight a lot of the issues that people who are kind of coming to terms with their identities need and, and have to deal with. Uh, but it's also just a lot of fun. Uh, you know, there have been a lot of ab- adaptations of the Carmilla novel over the years, uh, hammers, the vampire lovers. Uh, we've, we've seen it in, um, in, in many different places, but I think that this is a fun take for the new millennium. Uh, and they're all just super cool. Uh, I mean, I can't gush about it enough. I, I think that Carmilla is where it's at right now for me. And it has been since I saw that first episode. In fact, if you are on YouTube, you can watch the first three seasons of uh, Carmilla for free, which is what get, garnered their fandom uh, and got them the ability to create a feature film that's going around right now. Um, they also did a Christmas special that had the line murder her for Christmas, which is one of my favorite things. Uh, and I even have it on a coffee mug. So. Also Tinder bio. Yes. Um. So yeah, so those are uh, three like very intense girl power kind of horror films. That's where we're, we're rocking it out for the ladies this Pride <laughs> Month and I am all about it. Uh, so how about a, a, a just a horror film in general? Let's uh, kick it through. Okay, horror film in general. Um, I feel like, okay, I'm going to bring it back to the boys then a little okay. bit. Um, I think the movie that I want to recommend is, um, it's a Brian De Palma film. Okay. Uh, it's Raising Kane. <gasps> Yay. Uh, yes. It's a film that I feel like um, we don't talk about a lot um, when we talk about De Palma. Um, it didn't really get a lot of great reviews when it came out. Um, I saw it very young, so um, it's it's kind of stuck with me for a long time and it is one of his wildest craziest movies mm-hmm. and it, it kind of feels like the movie where he just like kind of threw in all of his obsessions and like you know see what sticks and uh and uh and the result is is pure madness um and there's a uh, i think it's a screen factory edition that actually has the um has it's like a fan edit of the movie but it's basically like it arranges um the cut in the way that it was originally written and um it's kind of fascinating to to kind of compare both versions um so yeah I, i i think people should if people like de palma at all i think um they and they haven't seen this movie um checking it out would be a good idea Oh, I was going to say, and honestly, if you love John Lithgow, because Mm. his performance is so unhinged in it in a great way. I think that uh, generationally, I've always said you can kind of tell when you grew up based on what you know John Lithgow from, because there's a whole generation that was like, oh, he's the bad guy. And then Mm. there's a whole generation that's like, he's the funny uncle. I'm like, no, we've seen him kill people. (laughs) That's not like, but that just shows the versatility of his his, uh, ability to act. And I think that Raising Cain, he did a number of of, uh, De Palma's films. Mm -hmm. I, I love him in Blowout. Yeah. Blow out, blow out as yeah. well. Uh, but um, Raising Kane is like you know his center stage moment. Yeah, it's yeah really he, he's movie. playing several characters. Do you have a preference of the two cuts? Um, I feel like now that I've like now that I've seen the mm-hmm. like the intended cut, um, I it just makes more sense. Like yeah. it's, it's it flows a lot better and it feels a lot more like 
like what the Palma would have done back in the day. Um, I watched it as soon as I got the new disc and I loved it yeah. so much. Because when I first saw the movie, I was like, oh, it's okay. It's got a great sequence at the ending, yes. mm-hmm. which is phenomenal. More just in slow motion. Great De Palma slow-mo. Yeah. Dear God. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, the new reconstructed cut is exactly what that movie was supposed to be. Exactly. Well, shout out. to have it. Yeah. Shout out to our friends at Shout Factory mm-hmm. uh, for making that happen. It is a great Scream Factory release uh and uh i pre-ordered that that was one mm-hmm. that i couldn't yeah uh, me too well because it came with a poster yes great artwork too yeah i'm a yeah. sucker for some uh some poster art uh drew what are you thinking in the world of horror uh i'm going further back down to uh creepy creepy rko gothicness Ooh. for a val luton classic uh probably the most underserved val luton film and my favorite No Shade to Cat People, uh, but Mark Valley of the Dolls Robeson's Isle of the Dead, starring Boris Karloff. It's a plague film um, about people uh, stuck on a small island that they realize one of their guests has recently died of the bubonic plague and they are stuck there for a week. It's horrifying and doesn't show you anything. You know, Val Luton, I don't think in modern horror gets discussed enough outside of, you know, the echelon of of film critics. But there were so many great films that he produced. Cat People, Mm -hmm. uh, this this particular film, uh, The Seventh Victim. Love Seventh Victim. Uh, There's just Body Snatcher. Mm -hmm. I walked with a zombie. Yeah, I walked with a zombie is such a great title. Uh, I, I think that Val Luton was sort of like one of the first power producers mm-hmm. uh, in the world of genre. And uh, that's great. I really am glad that you uh, bring him up on the show. I think this might be the first reference to Val Luton on Dead for Filth Jesus. at all. Uh, and that's good because one of the, the goals, of course, of Dead for Filth is to introduce listeners to new new avenues of genre. Um and he also kind of ushered in, I feel like, uh, you know, like this super like big emphasis on mood and atmosphere. Yes. Yeah. And he was, you know, working with directors that came from Europe. Um, and uh, I think, you know, Isle of the Dead like has it's, you know, got atmosphere mm-hmm. in spades, which makes up for, you know, I, I don't want to say makes up for the fact that we don't see anything. But it's mm-hmm. like that's the that's, that's what, what the he was going is. for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it's it's I I love Outbreak in infection films. Like right. Contagion is one of the scariest movies in the world for me, um, just because germophobia is real and it's horrifying. Uh, and that movie does so much with absolutely nothing. It's one location. It's a very small set of actors that are all playing their best. Right. And there's sleepwalking and there's someone that might be dead and might not be. And there's the spreading infection and madness. And it is the like blueprint for a great bottle film. Yeah, I can definitely, I can, you know, the thing about contagion movies to me are they're so applicable to so many fears of so many different communities. I mean, we've, we've discussed, of course, the idea of infection movies with relation to the AIDS crisis Mm -hmm. in previous episodes, but just in terms of, of, uh, contagion in general, it's something that unlike a vampire or Freddy Krueger, it has a very real presence in the world that we live in. And so that's kind of a boogeyman that like will kind of stay with you a little bit Mm -hmm. longer when you watch a movie like that. And uh, I don't know. I'm always a fan of horror that kind of 
makes you a little more wary of the real world <laughs> because maybe you should be. Uh, good choice. I love I love a throwback, and you know I I think a throwback is where I'm going to go as well. It is no secret that I love a good TV movie, and I also think that because we are in the middle of summer, we should celebrate these warmer months. So I'm going to recommend a little scene Wes Craven television film called Summer of Fear. Uh, and this movie starred Linda Blair and Lee Purcell. And it's all about uh, this girl who comes to stay with her family after her parents die, uh, with her extended family after her parents die in this extent, uh, mysterious circumstance. And she may or may not be a witch. And the only one who's savvy to her shenanigans is uh, big haired horse riding Linda Blair. And uh, it's based on a novel by Lois Duncan, who also wrote I Know What You Did Last Summer. Uh, it's wild. It's got so much Aquanet uh, per frame because it's the middle of the 70s. Uh, it's, it's just... It's delicious. Have either of you seen it? I have not. No, I think this is like the only Wes Craven film I haven't seen. Yeah, it's interesting because Wes Craven, in between uh, his sort of drive-in heyday of Last House on the Left and Hills Have Eyes and the, uh, you know, breakout success of Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, had kind of a brief sojourn through the world of TV movies. And uh, Summer of Fear was a movie of the week with Linda Blair and uh, is just so fun and you can kind of see hints of what's to come uh with with some of his later work even there and it's cool to see uh craven direct the star of the exorcist mm. another really great tv movie that he directed during this era is a movie called invitation to hell with susan lucci uh which you know is a film with susan lucci <laughs> she's say no more lives it, it haunts a country club it's very dynasty you know of of the living dead uh so definitely recommend those. I especially, of course, wanted to choose Summer of Fear because this is a summer mini-sode, so watch something summer-oriented. Uh, all right. Well, the mission was a queer horror film, a horror film, and a queer film. So what are your queer film selections? <laughs> well, because you were talking about summer, I'm going to keep, I'm going to stick to that theme. Um, this is, uh, and I'm also going to stick to the boys. And there's a lot of naked boys or men in this movie. So, you know, appropriate for pride. Uh, this is a French movie called Stranger by the Lake. Which is fantastic. Yes. Um, it is kind of, you know, I wouldn't call it a horror movie, but it's definitely, you know, genre. You know, it's a thriller. It's, you know, it's a mystery uh, and it's basically, you know, about um, a guy who, you know, uh, go, you know, he keeps going to this uh, French nude beach uh, that gay men frequent. And then he kind of falls for a mysterious, handsome stranger who may or may not be involved with uh, a mysterious death on the on that lake. Now, the guys in this movie, they're going there to cruise. They're going there to cruise, yeah. 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 And it is a, it's a pretty steamy movie. Yes. I mean, they're basically naked for like 85% of the movie. <laughs> yeah, you have to give credit to the actors who committed to this film because it is truly a commitment. Like, you, there, mm -hmm. there is nothing but vulnerability and, I don't know, biohazards, I guess. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of... of juices yes. the show's called Dead for Filth for a reason <laughs> and there's, a, there's a bunch of sex in it too and yeah. um, but I think like what has you know it's a film that like I remember seeing it for the first time and you know liking it but it's a film that kind of keeps 
coming back, you know, up in my head. Um, and it's kind of fascinating how it's done. There, I, I don't think there's any music. All mm-hmm. we hear is like the just the sound of the lake and the wind and the trees. Right. Um, you know, it's very French, you know, and, you know, the French are very, you know, um, blasé about, you know, sex and their bodies and like all of that stuff. Um, and the mystery aspect is, you know, I enjoy a lot. Um, you know, I always enjoy a good mystery. And I think it, it you know, it ends in a satisfying way, which is not always the case with with mystery movies. What I think is really special also about Stranger uh, by the Lake is that, uh, of course, there it's a very sexy film with with like a, a raw eroticism and there's this mystery. But it also sort of addresses this uh, kind of generational divide that exists within the queer community because our lead befriends an older gay man at the beach who's still kind of like grappling with coming out and who he is because he never really had the opportunity to. And I think what's really fascinating is that this very real issue and very touching issue is sort of buried in this very lurid film. And that to me is, is, uh, a stroke of genius in terms of, of cinematic storytelling that you can introduce many threads of a story, uh, in, in one film in subtle ways. And I think that's really what makes this movie work on so many levels, because I remember even, you know, uh, in the film, you're seeing people like blow each other in the woods. And then like a second later, there's this just sad guy. And you're like, Oh my God, I really feel for that. Like, like you're pulled like right out of like the, like sort of like pseudo X rated moment that you saw, because you're just like, I just want him to be happy. (laughs) (laughs) And it's all like shot in a way with like, everything feels like equally normal in quotation marks. Like Mm -hmm. it's just like, this is just, this is the scene. This is what happens here. And, and we just, we're all along for the ride. Well, it kind of goes back to a discussion that we've had many times with different guests on the show about like movies about sex are rarely actually sexy Mm -hmm. because you sort of see the raw like animal mechanics of it all and you're just like "Mm, mm, well yeah maybe I'll just go have lunch instead (laughs) (laughs) what are you thinking Drew what's in the world of queer cinema for you Uh, the top tier of queer cinema for me is and will always be Pedro Almodovar Mm. Uh, so my choice is a film of his that's slightly overlooked now. Okay. Uh, but it is his, I want to say 1987 hit, Law of Desire. Oh. Uh, which uh, is also a quite steamy film. At least mm-hmm. has a uh, steamy as hell opening, uh, which the first time I watched, uh, a roommate of mine walked in during that and I quickly shut it off. Uh, <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, but it's a great pansexual romp. It's a comedy, but it's also very much a thriller to a great degree um, about a theater and film director, his trans sister, played by Carmen Mora, a genius bit of casting, mm-hmm. um, and uh, his obsessed fan, played by Antonio Banderas, mm-hmm. um, who's never been more attractive than in that film. Uh, it is so touching to watch Carmen Mora take this young child under her wing and start to lean into a motherly role as her brother's caught in this very hectic thriller plot with, (laughs) again, gorgeous young Antonio Banderas. Almodovar always knew how to shoot Antonio Banderas. Some of my my favorite 
uh, roles of his. Well, I'm a big Amadovar fan anyway, but, you know, uh, Time Me Up, Time Me Down uh, in Matador. Uh, Antonio just looks gorgeous. I want to ask you, because I think that as far as trans issues, Amadovar seems to go like all over the place, all over the spectrum. Sometimes he seems to really do well by the community and sometimes he really doesn't? I'm bringing up Law of Desire because this is his best representation. Yeah. Right. All About My Mother is also amazing. Right. And is, is in my mind, one of the best trans films around. Oh. Mm-hmm. It still has a couple issues in terms of casting here and there, but on the whole is a great, great representation, especially right. of pansexuality and of just very, very tender, true female relationships. But on the other hand, you have The Skin I Live In, right? which is one of my favorite films, uh, is a genius horror film that I think makes Franju's Eyes Without a Face look like a student film, mm-hmm. but at the same time has incredibly problematic and difficult gender issues to get over that it it's hard for me to like break the film down in an enjoyable framework. Right. Um, because I look at it and it's gorgeous cinema and it's an amazing horror film. It's an amazing thriller. Um, that's a culmination of a lot of his work. But at the same time, there's a core conceit within the film that betrays just a little bit of his, I don't want to say understanding of certain issues, but like it's, it's, it's a very tricky subject, and I don't want to get into spoilers for this movie because it's great. I think <laughs> right. everyone should see it anyway. Yeah, yeah. But Well, I think it's interesting because there is... I mean, no one would disagree that uh, a queer man himself, Amador, mm-hmm. Amadovar, has been a champion and ally to the spectrum of the community. Yes. But I think there's also this thing sometimes when you are a filmmaker who trades in shocking moments mm-hmm. you forget that sometimes just to utilize something for shock can still be problematic no mm-hmm. matter how air quotes woke you are well there's a question of consent at the core of the skin i live in yeah which it, which is the problem that same question of consent comes up in law of desire right in the scene where carmen mora is crying over her brother who may or may not have memory loss at a certain point in mm-hmm. the film uh, that question of consent comes up and is represented in a very tender way, in a very emotional way. And again, the casting of um, Carmen Moore as a trans woman is brilliant and very incredibly ahead of the time for the mid to late 80s. Right. Um, and is something that's done so effortlessly in that film that we really haven't seen since. Oh, these are two good suggestions and a good discussion inherent. I think uh, this is what we do the show for. Uh, You both offered up some sordid films, um, and I feel like it is my responsibility to bring us back to the light of God. No, um, I'm actually going to recommend a sweet film for Pride Month because one of my favorite things, as much as I love shocking cinema and subversive cinema and horror and craziness, one of the things that I always seem to do during the month of June is just really like to watch like a lovely queer movie about nothing like necessarily shocking, but just nice. Uh, and my favorite go-to, uh, this is, this is one for the ladies is uh, a movie called Imagine Me and You with Piper Perabo and Lena Headey, where uh, Piper Perabo is set to marry Matthew Good, who couldn't look 
sexier than he does in this moment in cinema history. I'll take him if he doesn't want him. I mean, <laughs> right? He looks so good in that movie. And like, he's also so charming. Yeah. And then she like, on their like wedding rehearsal day, or they actually, on her wedding day, she meets Lena Headey, who's like doing the flowers for her wedding. And she's just like, hey, hi, maybe I'm a lesbian. <laughs> and then like the whole movie is just like, a world of lesbianism like uh, unfolding and what's great like a full solid decade before call me by your name anthony stewart head aka giles himself gets to sit down piper parabo and give the dad speech of like love who you love like rock it out and like that to me was just like you know of course i love that scene in call me by your name where uh we get the dad giving chalamet like the whole what for but like i remember seeing imagine me and you in the theater and just Giles is just like, you go and be you. And I'm like, ah! like just like the emotional tears. Um, so I really, really love um, uh, that, that movie. It's a feel-good film. I watch it pretty much every Pride season. I usually pair it with uh, a teen gay comedy called Get Real from the UK, and I love both of those. Uh, watch Get Real as well. It was the first gay movie I ever saw. I had to go to a blockbuster. I think it One might town have, over. Yeah, I think it might have been one of the first ones that I saw, too. It was good. Um, I made two recommendations because it's my damn show. <laughs> so, yeah, these are all really great suggestions. Do you have any other uh, final input that either of you want to want to lay down for this Pride Month? Um, Rift is amazing. Uh, I didn't want to mention it because Erlinger's here, but it's amazing anyway. And you should watch it because it's on Shudder. Uh, I'm blushing right now. <laughs> it's well, also on Amazon Prime. Yes, it is. <laughs> Well, and Rift is great for Pride Month because it is truly about a queer relationship mm -hmm. and maybe not one that goes well, but one. <laughs> and in the Val Luton sense has a, a much, much atmosphere to spare. Yes. And also, like, I feel like if if it gets too hot for people in the month of June, <laughs> you know, it, it's some film that'll cool you down for sure. There's nothing like the the chilly landscape of Iceland <laughs> for the middle of, of uh, hot June. That's what I need in L.A. during June. Dear God. <laughs> Any final thoughts, Erlinger? Um, I, I mean, I, I feel like just because I saw it yesterday, I just want to bring up, um, I saw Hereditary and it's not, mm. you know, I wouldn't call it queer or anything, but it has a performance by Toni Collette. And I mean, Toni Collette has, you know, she's, uh, we all know what a great actress she is. Right. Um, Muriel. Muriel, exactly. Muriel's Wedding. I mean, that's, you know, you know, she became a queer icon, I feel like, just just for that role alone, let alone everything else she's done. Um, and she's worked with Diablo Cody um, on the United States of Tara. Um, but that performance is so wild and it's so amazing and like she yeah it's like a roller coaster so I, I feel like we'll be talking about that performance in the same breath we talk about a lot of like our favorite female performances um it'll it's it's pretty iconic so i feel like people should check that out well check out hereditary and listen up i know that some of you out there are having your tony collette themed pride brunch <laughs> so just a quick hit list of films before you go see Hereditary. Check out Muriel's Wedding if you're an ABBA fan. Check out Connie and Carla if you want to see her and Nina Vardalos do drag and sing Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, you know, just live your best Tony Collette life. And uh, 
yes, this has really just been a array of things that you can watch during Pride Month. But more importantly, get out there and celebrate with your community. Celebrate being a queer person amongst your queer family members and friends and uh, just live your best life because, you know, you only get one. So, yeah, just watch some stuff, live some stuff, and we'll be here when you get back. Have a good June. Happy Pride. This has been Dead for Filth. I'm Michael Verratti. Yours always in glam and gore. Good night. And good luck.